Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Kate Morrisink and I'm the Sustainability Manager at Tea Leaves. And I'm so excited to be sitting down today with Simon Widmer, Design Network and Creative Lead at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation to discuss the circular economy. This podcast is part of our virtual festival, Nature X Design, presented by Tea Leaves. Search Nature X Design in your browser to discover the event recordings, articles, and a plethora of information on each of the festival events. Simon, would you give us a little bit of background on your role at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, yes, my name is Simon Whitmer. I joined the foundation five years ago. Uh, initially in the New Plastics Economy Initiative, which is a systemic initiative about applying circular principles in plastics, which is one of the most uh, challenging industries to apply the circular economy to. And after the first two years in that uh, initiative, then transitioned to the circular design program, which I helped build. And currently my role is around taking care of the network development. So working with other design and design organizations and businesses to make, to contribute to circular uh, design becoming a new normal. So like essentially going from, a, from the extractive, for an extractive way of designing today to applying uh, circular economy principles in the design stage. That's wonderful. And can you give a little bit of an introduction as to what the circular economy is and why the MacArthur Foundation started and, and really wanted to focus on this principle and this thought? Yes. So the, the circular, circular economy in its essence can be easiest described as a, as a contrary to the linear economy, which is very, very simple, like a take, make and waste model where we take some materials out of the ground, we use them very short, and then it becomes waste after a short use period. And the circular economy is uh, the opposite, it's regenerative by design. And it builds on three principles, like the, to design out waste and pollution, to keep products and materials in use, and to regenerate natural systems. The foundation was founded 10 years ago by Ellen after she has uh, looked into the circular economy for a couple of years actually and the initial spark for her was when she sailed around the world and discovered that everything on a boat is finite as well just as in our economy and on this planet so that was the inception of the foundation 10 years ago what i personally find really exciting about the circular economy is that it provides us with a with a positive vision of the future we, we all know that in nature, things have been working for billions of years, right? So 3.8 billion years, we had systems that were regenerative, that worked without creating any waste. So we, we have this amazing model as an inspiration of how we can actually design our own economy and society. And at the same time, we have now these powerful technologies today at our hands that we can use to design within that vision. So I think that's really interesting for us at this point in time. And also it places designers in a really interesting spot because they do understand of how they can address needs that they have as humans, not just as humans actually, but actually as living beings. So we shouldn't just kind of like think that we are very center of the, of the, of the world, but like designing for abundant life um, is, now, is now possible and in many ways 
enhanced through the materials that we have today. Like we have new materials that we can, that we can design with, like you know, bio-based material, materials. We have new business models uh, that are possible today. We, we understand systems much better than we did in the past. So essentially you have this amazing model of a regenerative economy in society that has been modeled by nature. And now we as humans have these amazing possibilities. And that's what I found very exciting, like this vision of a regenerative future that we can be part of. And something that really works for the long term, not just is a little bit less bad and works a little bit uh, longer, but is ultimately destined to fail. Thinking that we have been, of course, exposed to nature all of our lives, principles and practices like biomimicry, you know, Janine Benius really started to build a lot of momentum with that, but that's just been within the last few decades. Why do you think it is that we're only waking up to the model that nature can provide at this point, uh, a little late in the game. I think that is that we now have the evidence that we do need to change. So we are here now where we are and we, we know that the model that we currently have doesn't work. We know that we need new solutions. It's very evident that climate change is happening and that even with the current efforts that we have, we are not making enough progress. So uh, greenhouse gas emissions are not falling quickly enough. And we see that regenerative energy is really important but it's not going to be the only piece that we need to achieve our um, targets in terms of emissions. So we, we do see that redesigning the way we, we, we produce food, the, 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 our products, our services, everything around us, that is an important ingredient. So we, we see the urgency today. It's becoming more and more apparent. I think that's an important driving force uh, behind everything. And, and there, might be, uh, there might be other historical reasons why we, we have not um, acted earlier, but ultimately like you know we are where we are and we have to do the best that we can in this particular point in time absolutely could you share a little bit about the role that you see designers playing as being a spark for change within the upcoming uh, decades as we push more into circular economy practices for us, designers have always been very important. Actually, let's speak about design rather than designers uh, in itself, because there is there's so many people involved in the design stage of everything that we create, like you know, like this building that we've created, our, our clothes that we wear, everything has been conceived and created. So I would say that this design stage is so essential to whatever model we want to live in in the future. And obviously, designers here play play a super important role. I, I, th I think designers by, by nature often are this voice of the user and, and, and of citizens. So they have this connection of like, how, it, how is my product going to be used? And, and having that user research, which is naturally ingrained in the design process, is a powerful force to advocate uh, for citizens and, to, and the users, not just for a narrow user, but actually rather for user groups and, and, the, um, and the whole whole journey of a, of a product really so so more and more designers are becoming aware of their responsibility to look into what happens after the use phase so what happens to my product uh, once it's not used anymore of course we want to design things that are being loved by people that are being used for a long time by people but once they are at the very end of that journey what happens next and I think that has been a question that hasn't really been addressed by, by many people who develop products. Uh, and that's more and more becoming a, a topic because we just see that 
waste is not working. And obviously that's becoming more and more apparent because we see how things are so interconnected. So I see the, the role of design and the design stage as absolutely critical for the next decade. So yeah, in my view, the, the role of the design stage or the, the development stage of anything, whether it's a product or a service, is absolutely essential because everything that we create it is part of a, of a broader flow and we are becoming more and more conscious that there is no way and the, like the, the conscious create something for the use space itself, but it has to also be viable in terms of where it goes next and how it becomes something else, like in nature, right? That's, that's something we can um, see very much in nature where everything is either as part of, of as a whole product or as, as particle becoming the, the food for the next incubation, right? So yes, the design is absolutely key. And, and within design, we, we do see that the systemic view beyond just the use phase is something that we become aware of. Uh, and yes, designers are great at understanding users and, and the user needs and how we, we can address that. And more and more that is now also becoming part of a bigger understanding of what happens with my creation over the whole journey. And it, it can lead to exciting, to exciting solutions because while in the past you might have created a physical thing, you thought that's the best way to address a particular need and you pumped it out, you did a lot of marketing around it. So you produce, you, you kind of send it off and you have no idea what happens, right? So that's kind of like, you know, the, 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 the kind of like old archetype. We see more and more now this ability to form collaborations across stakeholders in the whole value chain and supply chain uh, to actually find better solutions and then have a whole kind of circular model that really works across all stages. And that paradigm shift from let's just create something and push it out, a physical thing, to actually let's design a, a solution or a service that addresses the particular need, but where materials flow continuously. I think that's one of the shifts that we are seeing and that will be an important part of like the success of future designers. Mm. I really like the point that you made at the beginning when you were talking about not just being narrow in the focus and thinking of designers, but really of the whole design process. And would you say in your interactions or when working with organizations that there's ever a, a disconnect or misunderstanding because people tend to hear the word design and they only think of that as being with people who have the label of designer in the title and don't necessarily think about how they themselves are actually part of the design process, perhaps just in other capacities? Yeah, this is such an important point. And it is really about this design stage, about this stage when we conceive whatever solution we, we want to design. And, and there's many people involved in that. It's not just about designers with a capital D of like, you know, the, the, of an elite, almost a bit of elitist, like of, you know, this is like a fashion designer and it's kind of untouchable and it's like far away. And what we realize is that in the design stage itself, you have different professions involved. Uh, people make important, decisions, not just about materials, but also about business models. And hence talking about the design stage of whatever we create is, is much more uh, empowering and inclusive 
and it reflects more of the collaborative nature of actually how things are conceived. So yes, in the circular economy, the design stage is really important and it doesn't just include designers with a capital D, but anyone who makes those decisions and who ultimately determine what we, what we have around us, like the products and the services uh, in the future. And on the flip side, you see there being a role as well that consumers play in regards to what they're asking of the you know, companies that they're buying from or how they choose to spend their money to support different or shifts within design practices? Yeah, I think sometimes we make this artificial distinction between there is one person who is a consumer, there's one person who works somewhere and designs something, <laughs> and then there's one person who cares about the environment. But actually often we, you know, often we are multiple things at once, right? Like I, in my work, I do contribute to creating new things, like in this case, a particular program. I also buy my, my own clothes, I, I, I eat food. So I'm also a consumer at the same time. And, and I really do care about like, future we are creating and so so this this uh, separation i think is often a bit artificial um, of course it matters what we are buying and what we are kind of which 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 solutions we encourage uh, and of course i'm really personally excited about new circle of solutions that are popping up and you know and trying them out but at the same time i think what we have to realize is that often when change happened historically it happened because a new solution or new offering was available so uh, I do think that the, the pushing the, the work that pioneers do in, in terms of finding new solutions and putting them out there, I think is really important. So I, I, I feel that um, simply saying that all the blame is on the, the citizen who, who just you know, doesn't do the right job, I think it's a bit too easy. And I think we, we do need to find new solutions that we can actually offer to, to citizens. So that, that's my personal kind of view on this topic. Would you be able to share any um, particular case studies that you've come across or that you're excited about where, you know, circular economy practices have been put into place in particular, where you've seen, you know, a really wonderful example of circular design? Yeah, that's, that's a, an interesting one because there's so many in different areas. Like when you look at fashion, when you look at plastics, two particular uh, work areas where we have been quite active in. And we have a whole case study library on, on the foundation's website that we can look into. I just had a conversation two weeks ago with uh, Marie-Lou Valente, a pioneer that we have been in touch with already a couple of years, uh, because we have also worked in New Plastics Economy together before. And I found her story quite exciting. So when we did this interview two weeks ago, she described her journey as a pioneer in circular economy and how it all started from like a simple startup incredible mission to redesign plastic packaging like for shampoo bottles and as you can imagine this is like a, this is serious business it's like a, it's quite difficult to to in terms of you know technical specifications in terms of scale because you need huge factories to create that and she had she she also looked at nature as an inspiration and she developed this completely new bottle that's consisting of only one material so mono material instead of like multiple mixes of of, um, of materials and pigments which makes it much easier to bring it back to recycle it at higher value so the economics are better 
but also just looks incredibly beautiful. So her example of redesigning from scratch as an individual a shampoo bottle that's fit for the circular economy, but also, you know, it's, it's refillable. You can use the same bottle again and again, which of course is like much better than recycling something if you can just keep it intact uh, with all of the, the energy that's gone into it in the first place. So while there might be so many cases of pioneers who, who push the boundaries in different areas, I like that one in particular, and it's just top of mind because we spoke recently. What is important to mention is that at this stage, we, well, it's not just at this stage. I think in general, this is a journey and we, we learn more and more. And there is not like, this is the perfect solution, circular solution, and this is like uh, nothing at all. It, there's so many different iterations and, 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 and shades to, the, to the, the circular journey that we can continuously learn. And, and I think it would be wrong to just say, this is the one only circular solution and the best example, and all the others are bad. I think what we, what we can do is like learn from each other and, and see how this particular product or service is really good on one end and how the other one is maybe better on the other one. And then we can learn together collectively. I completely agree. And I know we talked about this a little bit before and you've spoken about how there's a, a mindset that you adopt and it's perhaps less about feeling like you're fitting under this certain label and everything has to be in this particular way, but it's more about understanding and reshifting what the brief is when you're creating a product. Could you speak about <clears throat> what you see as being that mindset shift and how people can think of circular design without having to be too focused on the label of circular design? Yeah, that's a really good point. Like there's so many good things in there that you just said, like, but one is that it's not so much about the label, whether something is circular design or, I mean, it's more about what it actually is rather than the label it gets right. And, and many things that haven't been uh, labeled circular design are actually really good examples of like how things can be regenerative in the long term. And that's ultimately the goal, right? Like designing um, product services that address needs, but that can fit into a system that, that works in the long term. And it's not just, um, uh, extractive model. So you mentioned the mindsets and I think that's a really important one because when we look at a mindset of, of regeneration, it's, it's by nature more holistic. So we, we look into what is necessary for whatever I create to regenerate. And maybe regenerate is already a word that's too, too complex to start with, but like, what can we do that flows into something else? What, what materials can we use that have the ability to go into something else and, and not become waste? And that is, is about material choices that we make, because if we, for example, have composites and, and put materials together uh, with, with glues, it's much more difficult to separate them at high value than if you have screws, right? So how can we um, keep the purity of materials and therefore the, the economics of, of, of our design high? is one example of how we can apply those principles because then you can see, oh, actually this design decision actually had an impact on what is possible after use. So really just following the flow of whatever we create is, is really helpful because then when we map this out and systems mapping is a quite helpful tool for that, understanding, creating a systems map of our, our creation where it goes, helps us identify where currently it might become waste. 
and then we can re-engineer, redesign those particular issues. Uh, in this case, that we have combined materials that can't be separated, hence becoming waste and not being of any use anymore. So while the particular challenges might be more technical and more complex, of course, ultimately understanding the journey of whatever you create is, is important and a good starting point. And then it also leads naturally to the second point, which is about collaboration and conversations with other stakeholders in your system. And that's also something that um, we see the pioneers apply really well. They, they look at how, with whom can I collaborate to make that system a circular one, one that can work um, and circulate the materials. How can businesses, organizations, individuals apply these circular principles and use them in that design process? That's, uh, that's actually something I find most exciting about the idea of circular design, because there's not just one way to go or like one simple solution, but there's many variations. And ultimately what we want is like that the outcome is in line with the three principles that we've mentioned before, but ultimately the strategies or the ways to get there are very diverse. And we have compiled a few of the common strategies that pioneers apply, and they range from um, actually dematerialization in the first place, so finding a new, a new way to address a need without, without any materials. And one exciting example of that is Algramo, which is a new way to deliver uh, the contents of previously packaged sachets to people. So now you have these uh, little tripods that deliver you a certain amount of soap that you need without any packaging in the first place. So you dematerialize the, 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 the packaging. Two, then using different materials. So that can be, for example, algae-based you know, biomaterials, or it can be uh, technical materials. So technical in, in a sense of like, when you refer back to the butterfly diagram, polymers, so plastics, for example, that are monomers and sorry, monomaterials and kept in use rather than uh, compiling different uh, composites or combining different uh, polymers. Two other strategies that focus more on business models. So going from, from short use periods to reuse models and repair models. Um, so there's a, a broad range of strategies that people apply in making the circular economy principles come to life. And that's what I found really exciting. And, and those strategies can be found online on the, on the website as well. And that's, it, it shows the variety and the possibilities that people can bring to the table and how this is not just prescriptive, but a creative challenge ultimately. That's a great way of looking at it. And uh, for those that are looking to learn more and really start applying this method, what are some of the resources available to them or what are some next steps that you would recommend if they're new to circular design? The best way to start is to have a look at the circular design toolkit because it provides one place of learning resources, of principles to apply, of, um, of even other groups of designers that you can connect with and exchange with. So we have, for example, on LinkedIn, a community of, I think, 19,000 members that exchange their thoughts on circular design. 
So that's the first natural place to go to the Circular Design Toolkit. On the, Cir uh, on the El Avocado Foundation's website, you also find information about the circular economy more broadly and case studies. So we have a, a whole range of case studies of people who have applied those principles. And these are, are two, two good starting points when it comes to the design process specifically. We have the Circular Design Guide. It's a, a toolkit looking at the design stages that you typically go through and then applying specific methods for every stage. So how can you, in the design process, apply, apply circular principles that's answered in the Circular Design Guide? Perfect. Thank you so much, Simon. It's really been wonderful learning more about the work that you and the Alan MacArthur Foundation are doing to push the circular economy forward. It's, I think, really inspiring and uh, at least gives me a lot of hope that there are solutions and practices out there that can help us build a world that's a little bit more resilient uh, for the future to come and a little bit kinder to our planet. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. For more education, enlightenment and enchantment, head to tealeaves.com.